0: Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now... Koppelman, and welcome to Behind the Racket podcast. How are you today? Hey man, I'm,
1: I'm glad to be here. I love talking about the planet snow and thrilled to talk to you, dude.
0: Um, I, first of all, I see back left the billions poster on there. That see, I, I just watched again. Not only am I watching the new season, I also started re watching it while I was on the plane. It. it is one of my favorite of all time. Love it. And this
1: is the first podcast that I've been able to be on where I can actually talk about Billions because the writer's strike got settled. So for the last this, you know, obviously I've talked about it a ton over seven seasons, but this season, um, I have not been able to talk about it publicly because in solidarity with my union, um, we were not promoting any of the shows. So I'm, I'm, I love that you love the show. (laughs) I love this season and yeah, people should dive in. There's been tennis in the show. If you dig sports, if you dig tennis, there's lots of references, lots of stuff throughout and Maria Kanakova shows up, uh, in the show. So. Yeah, it's for for fans of drama but also for sports fans.
0: Yeah, no, that uh that whole actors guild and everything that's all settled now. That was a few days ago, right? Or yesterday or it, the, <laughs> yesterday. The writers <laughs> yeah. guild. the
1: actors right. the screen actors are still uh have to settle theirs but I'm I'm gotcha. encouraged that they'll get a fa- that, you know end up getting a fair deal um uh, but the the we as 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 screenwriters and television writers were able to uh, make make a deal and um so yeah,
0: we can talk about anything you want. That's amazing. But before we go into billions and all the amazing I mean award winning stuff that you've done tennis, this is why you're here. This is why you're on this podcast right now. Where did your love for tennis begin? Who was the first person to introduce you to tennis? What was that like? You, yeah, I have been playing tennis my entire life. Uh, you know,
1: I I can find there are pictures um, of me trying to, like, get in a good sort of like serve return ready position from when I'm like four <laughs> or five years old, I think. And um, from the first time I ever, st- my dad took it up late in life. He was a good athlete, but he didn't play tennis. He grew up playing tennis. He grew up playing much, you know, sports that were easier to, to play, uh, easier to get access to, easier to afford, all that stuff. Uh, and um, and I think he and, and felt like tennis would make sense for me in certain ways. Uh, I always, my, my, the big thing that, um, uh, you know, all of us are kind of imperfect, uh, athletic specimens, some fewer, uh, imperfections and (laughs) they go on to be serious athletes. But so, uh, my, my hand eyes, uh, relative to everything else, I have very good hand eye and, Mm. um, always have had that. So I can really, you know, shoot a basketball and, um, I have good touch at any kind of sport. I'm not very fast. And when I was young, I really wasn't fast. And parts of that were really hard for me. But so I think um, that the idea was this, you know, hitting a ball um, and understanding how to even put spin on, even before people were hitting with the Western grip, like that kind of makes sense. And I loved it. I, you know, I wasn't somebody who was great at it early but right from the beginning i could hit the ball and rally and that's like you know you get that little bit of encouragement when you're young at a sport which was like right from the beginning i would be sorted into the not the, i was never anywhere the best player but i would always get sorted into the top
0: group right. you know what i
1: mean um because i could play i could just it you had the athleticism
0: for it you just, were in that it, yes.
1: my particular thing,
0: skill set <laughs>
1: skill set just worked to you know be able to kind of hit a tennis ball uh, and I, but I loved it too. I loved, um, I loved everything about the way I couldn't have articulated it this way, right? As a kid, but what tennis requires of you and I was much worse at it when I was young too. Um, but the way, you know, it combines my other favorite sports to play probably are basketball was always and um, those are my two when I was young in golf. Mm-hmm. And I think tennis gives you, so much of what you get at a basketball in terms of um, what you have to be able to present physically, the kind of work you have to do, the hand-eye stuff, but also because you're out there alone um, and because of uh, understanding the patterns and understanding how often it's really just on you to be able to put the ball in play, uh, it requires the kind of emotional and mental mastery over the self Hmm. that golf does and and it's so difficult this is why one of the reasons (laughs) i love it is the the you know realizing um that uh, it's hard uh to do that that um even if you practice a lot you might miss um a short forehand uh you might uh, you might be pressing and worried that the opponent's going to pass you. And so you might hit it too hard. You might be scared that you're going to hit it out and you baby it and get past And all these things, you try to get in this state of flow. You know, when I was a kid, Johnny Mack was the person we idolized and he was the first person to really talk about the zone. And, uh, but it is true that anyone who's played tennis at whatever level you play it at. And again, I'm not a great tennis player. I'm just someone who loves tennis, but I've played enough. That I've had those moments where the racket's mm. an extension of the self, where you're not thinking, right? Where you're just, you're thinking well enough to know how to manage the point, but you're not, uh, your conscious mind is not worried about consequences and you are in that state of flow. And, you know, Noah, that for a guy as great a tennis as you are, you know, the, and I know at every level, like. The moments in the zone—it's basically we all get the same amount of time in the zone. To show sure. how effective, how effective you can be in the zone for you. And so tennis just always offered that. When, I, like I said, when I was a kid, and it's really something that's frustrated me—you know, even to think about. Um, I played um, two number two mostly, or number three singles for my high school, but I was a really bad at dealing with adversity on the court. I had such Mm. high expectations on myself. I had these demands of myself and when I would fall short of it, I really was terrible at staying. Like I kind of was strategically always pretty decent, but if you can't tactically do it, the strategy doesn't matter. And um, because I had no emotional mastery on the court or there were enough times I didn't, it was really frustrating and I quit the game for like 15 Mm. years. Because there were days that I played. There were days when I could beat people levels who were much better than me. The consistency. It meant I just couldn't do it mentally. And it, it made me go like, yeah, there's other things to do. When I picked the game back up in a serious way, that stuff was gone. And the expectations were gone. And now it's just a, even now when I'm nervous or uh, it's hard to feel like I'm swinging free. I'm not angry with myself. I'm learning. I'm curious. I'm engaged in that process. I'm trying to solve it, and I don't even get. I don't want to throw a racket. I don't. I have none of those. Like that stuff somehow got left behind, and so it's the it's a just an incredibly joyful thing. Really hard and disappointing.
0: I'm not. Saying, <laughs> I'm not a sewer. I'm not. Sad guru. not I don't, affecting your I don't, life as much. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I can. Yeah.
1: I don't. I, I can still get mad at myself afterwards, but I'm saying it's. It it's become like the reapproach to the game now is um I just always want to be out there,
0: you know, playing so what I mean, we'll we'll talk about Jimmy Connors in a second, but what brought you back to tennis during that hiatus? I mean, what was that initial bring? Like I would moment? say I didn't
1: yeah. So I would say like I truly really hardly ever played from um, like in college, I played basketball every day. And then mm-hmm. okay, you know, I played a few times a year, but I didn't play. And then I would say, like from post-college. I bet I played twice a year for 15 years, you know, and wow. I got into my mid, maybe like mid to late 30s. But Are you I had... watching tennis at this time at all? Yeah, I never stopped watching tennis. Okay. So, so
0: you're still a fan of no. the sport. That... Oh, okay. Okay. I could have, there's <laughs> never
1: been a time that I couldn't like really talk about many, many players in the top 50 and yeah. that I wasn't, couldn't even if I had to like go imitate their serve or whatever, <laughs> the stroke. Like I'm a really active tennis fan, but. You don't like, like I, we had children and, and that's part of what got me back into it. My son would play, so I'd play with him. Um, and then, but I still, then, you know, um, you, work gets in your life and and it just, it, it really wasn't until just maybe the summer before the pandemic mm. that, again, I would go through little periods of playing and we made the Connors documentary. Well, what happened? I started playing again then. I'd forgotten this. Right around then I played a lot and then I blew up my calf. And then that put another 10 years on it where I just basically didn't play. And then pandemic, um, I realized this is something I can do. There were friends who had, a friend of mine at a court and then another, so I started playing and then I met up with an old friend who happened to be where I was. And we kind of decided to bubble together, his his wife and Amy and we were all kind of, and he and I, there was a little right near where I was living there was a a single bubble and I would go with my friend and I would go with Sam, my son, and we would just play. And I ended up playing like five days a week. Mm. And that that family
0: environment. And yes, yes. To bring that. And then there was a pro
1: I'm going to shout him out. If he's this guy named Steve Guernsey, who's Steve Guernsey is upstate New York in uh, like kind of Rhinebeck, Poughkeepsie and North of there, Germantown. He's a great player and an incredible teacher. and. It was the most fun thing, Noah, he, so this is now three years ago, three and a half years ago, and he rebuilt my forehand. He was like, you're up here. If you want to do this, like I can really show you the modern forehand and it'll take four, five, six months. But at the end of this, uh, you will have the windshield, you will have the modern forehand. And and if you really work at it and it's going to suck for you, and you're going to miss a lot of balls. But you're gonna have a weapon that like nobody 57-year-old who wasn't is not a 5-0 will have. And I was like, I'm I'm so in because it was so great to have a
0: project like that. Yeah, that was a process on. for you. Oh yes, which is and right aligned with I everything could, you do.
1: Two, three times a week. I could show up and really and then when I would play with Josh, my friend, or my son Sam, I was working on the forehand. And I will tell you, dude, it like you know, it's amazing how breaking that stroke down and focusing on that and then rebuilding it and working and working and working on that gave me such mental freedom, uh, Mm. clarity, right. You're that kind of focus, like everything else kind of goes away. all the stress of the thing.
0: Yes. Incredible. It's completely Uh, Zen at that point.
1: And then the result is that my forehand now at 57 is just better than it's ever been. It's I really can crack that thing. And, um, It's super fun to have like a little weapon that I didn't know I
0: had at this age. So you've gone through these like ebbs and flows of tennis, but you know, going back to the Jimmy Connors, you know, this is what they want. How, what was the motivation behind that for sharing that story? How did that come across your desk? Kind of go through that process a little bit. I'd love to. So
1: part of my tennis obsession as a kid, was that I worked at the U.S. Open for three years when I was mm. 16, 7, 17, and 18. What are we doing then? And it was an incredible, <laughs> incredible gig. Um, I was, uh, this was the deal back then, and there was like very little security. So mm. you could just get out onto the courts. So you could bring your rackets. Like we, I hit on all the courts, you know, um, because you got the little badge that got you in. So I sold clothes at the Alessia booth, but the deal was, they would pay you. I don't remember the exact numbers, but let's say they paid you ten bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. They would give you tw- they would give you twenty bucks an hour in a gear, so you could get mm. twice as much. And then you set you were set up for the year for your tennis,
0: fully in a gear. You look like a pro. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. And then also
1: they would throw you stuff because you're there every day right, you're right, setting right. up and you're closing and you're there from before the place opens till it closes. Fifteen hours. Yeah. And you get to know everybody. You also get to know the security guards. You get to know, play, like, so sneaking to the players lounge and have. it was just an incredible thing to be 15, six, it was 15, 16, 17. And it was just an incredible thing to be at in that environment at that place. So I had this love for the open, right? And for the everybody and the culture of that place. And I never stopped going. I would go every year. For a long time after that, I knew so many people. Then, of course, I, I didn't anymore. Um, but uh, when Bill Simmons... Uh, was talking to david levine my creative partner and mm. and me about 30 for 30s i remember levine and i were texting with bill we were on an airplane flying somewhere and, and um bill was like what would you guys want to do for season two if you want you know i'd love to have you do, do something and i just looked at levine and immediately we were just like yeah connor's and you <laughs> know connor's in 91 the comeback and bill immediately said yep go see these guys at ESPN next week when you're back in New York and let's make this happen. And then we were off and running. And um, by then, you know, because of what I did for a living, I had some pretty deep contacts and um, friends and some friends of mine, Chris Fowler and and Mike Lupica both reached out to Jimmy and and told Jimmy that I was a legit, Dave and I were both like really legit tennis people that we were, would treat him fairly, spoke to Jimmy a bunch and he agreed to do it. And, it was really an incredible time to get to um, be around my, you know, these heroes from my childhood and ask them questions. And, you know, uh, I loved Cricker. Crickstein, if you're my age and you were a Jewish kid on Long Island, like (laughs) somehow Bloomfield Hills where he was in Detroit was basically like the Midwest version of Long Island and (laughs) Crickstein was really important to you. And uh, so getting to do that was an amazing experience.
0: Yeah. And for you, do you remember watching that, live you know the comeback of connor's after his hiatus every what was match, that kind I mean, of emotion no yeah every, every single
1: every match i mean every i really remember every match <laughs> i didn't i didn't remember i didn't watch the harhus match when it happened the, um like i had forgotten about the overheads i'd forgotten about that match but other than that i knew everything that happened in every match um somehow like i was in law school then at night and i think the however it happened that i missed that one match but i in, I mean, I remember every beat of the Patrick match and I remember every beat of the Cricker match. Um, I knew all the stuff that happened. I didn't know all the interpersonal drama. I didn't know, for instance, that Johnny Mac, the, as soon as Jimmy broke a second time, Johnny Mac went to sleep and knew his little brother was going to lose. I had no idea that. and um, And I was pretty friendly with Patrick. Um, okay before, so but we'd never talked about it, it's not the kind of thing you bring up but when there was the camera and the mic i could i could br- bring <laughs> it could up bring and it up you would
0: talk to me <laughs> yeah no that's amazing and uh no i mean it just to you know for you as your tennis love has developed in so many different things as the years went on how have you tried to incorporate that into kind of some of the projects that you've done obviously you have corner and billions and you have a few other pieces and then also, I mean, poker has been such a huge party of rounders, which is an amazing movie. And you know, how has yeah. that competitive spirit in you kind of led to some of these films and series that you've worked on?
1: Like, you know, I don't know if I can draw a straight line other than to say, like, one thing that absolutely appeals and has always appealed to us about David and me about tennis is, you know, these people who are out there with everyone looking at just them and they have to find a way to access the best part of themselves, the truest part of themselves, the gunslinger part of themselves to perform and succeed against sometimes really long odds is, you know, pretty similar to what a poker player has to do. Uh, and i and, you know, pretty similar to what someone who's a United States attorney has to do or, um, uh, Someone who runs a hedge fund and has to make these giant decisions, people who put it all on the line, people who have an unrealistic dream, but then work toward that unrealistic dream with an incredible amount of rigor and perseverance and discipline and focus. And so those things, I think, are across the work. And look, Dave and I are both sportsmen. Dave's really great at Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and he's done all sorts of things like that. And, you know, I've played sports my whole life. And so I think there is something, you know, and I still at this age, I hate playing doubles. Um, and I I love playing basketball on a team uh, and I love playing baseball on a team. But um, I want to play singles when I play tennis. I want to be out there and know that what if I want to try to hit a kick serve hard uh, at, um, at out in a big game that. I'm not on fucking you. anyone else. I'm not fucking anyone else over. <laughs> if I miss it long, you know, if I go really try to hit it hard and um, I but want you get to get the glory so. as well,
0: though, you get the glory as well. <laughs> if it does yeah. go well, if it does go well, it's it's on you. You know, it's, it's that all yes. in kind of feeling, which it's funny. So my co-host who absolutely loves you and is the first podcast he couldn't make. He's actually commentating a challenger match right now. Um, and he's a big poker player himself. And he's tied a lot of Uh, similarities between poker and tennis that understanding of the mental aspect what goes into it playing your own emotions the players around you and and tennis is that all or nothing game Well,
1: knowing what you should do versus what you actually do which in tennis happens all the time like i got to hit with bg a few Mm -hmm. times a couple years ago and um you know the way it's so clear like when you talk to him um he'll say you know uh Like take that example, he'll say, you know, 30-40 is not really the moment to crack a second serve. You hit a big spin. He's like, you do that scoreboard math, but you know, you're in the heat of the battle and you're amped up, and you just missed the first serve by this much, and you're gassed and you're adrenalized. And sometimes you don't, you know what you're supposed to do. Spin it in, come to net behind it, make him hit a shot and pass you. You know, put the pressure on and but so you had to have to constantly recenter, know where you are, take a deep breath. Pokers, you know, I play a lot of poker and that yeah. stuff. Um, knowing knowing the move you should make, but being able to make that move with the pressure on
0: resisting you tilts. learn
1: <laughs> well you learn a lot, yeah. But you learn so much about yourself. You know, I told you I played in a club tournament a couple weeks ago, and um it was amazing how tight I was. And I was because I I realized it was because I went in as the favorite in that match, and um, the guy I was playing was in better condition than me, and he had good strokes. But I was it was clear that I was the favorite in the match, and the pressure of that for what? It's a club tournament (laughs) that nobody cares about in the world. And the guy who, if I won three matches and got to the finals, the guy would have played in the finals is top hundred in the over fifties. He was gonna, you know, or the whatever he was gonna just beat me two and one. Uh, So what was I? What I but I felt tight and I felt mm-hmm. tight for like a whole set where, and I I did fine. I won the match, but like feeling that, and then finding a way to execute anyway, isn't an amazing. And it gives you, it gives you such empathy for the players when something's really on the line. Cause there I was at this place. I played a <laughs> million times on a surface. It was clay outdoors on a beautiful morning. And you know, Like you play enough, one of the nice things, and I would say to anyone, like one of the nice things when you play a lot and you work on your game is it's any 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 achievement, like it's like there is a floor where at different times you don't have it. If you, but when you're playing a lot, you know, and that's a great source of comfort. It's like I can hit I'm not really going to miss, like I'm going to hit my forehand, like that's going to be fine. I'm not going to just tank, but when you're tight, even so. Suddenly, your forehand that really does land between the service line and the baseline <laughs> most, most of the time is just landing at the service <laughs> line because you're tight and you're short arming it just a little, meaning you're not going to just hit into the net. You're not going to, but you're nervous <laughs> and you're going to kind of swing hard, you know, and your body's a little out of sync and the thing's going to land mid court. And that means that guy can come in and put pressure on you. And suddenly you're playing defensively. <laughs> and This is what's so great about tennis because you got to go, all right, well, I can be really pissed about that or I can just now play the point from that spot. And yeah, it's not what I expected the point to be where I'm in control and I'm pushing him back and then I'm moving him. Okay. How do I, you know, what do I have to do to stay in the point? How do I hit one more shot? How do I think through this question? How do I still noticing and staying really curious about what shots he, okay, if I'm nervous, he's nervous even though he's the underdog, okay, what shots does it seem like he doesn't want to hit? How can I just, can I just chip the ball? <laughs> you know, can I chip the ball to his backhand in a way that he's not comfortable? And that is like, when you get to a place of tennis where you have the strokes, again, not on a level, I'm not saying I'm 5 I'm not a five zero player, but where you have the strokes, where you could play with anybody, yeah. then it's all these other questions. And that's, what's so amazing to me about tennis.
0: No, you seem so open the way you speak about emotions on and off the court. It's extremely thoughtful, but you know, you've, I've, I've read that you work with meditation before oh, and we yeah. talk about mental health on this podcast a lot. I mean, how has that war affected you on the court as well as in your profession? I mean, it's a dramatic difference, yeah. like
1: meditating. I started meditating 15 years ago and I won't really go. Yeah. If I'm, I meditate twice a day. I always meditate once a day. Sometimes I miss the second one, but if I'm, if I have anything to do at night, I'm gonna make sure I do that meditation in the afternoon. Like when we're done with this podcast, I'm gonna go right on the couch over there and meditate before I beforehand on, Uh I'm in my office. It's just, um, it breaks the loop, the cycle. We all have this, uh, we all have a series of loops running in our brains. And yeah, people who play a lot of sports, Or compete at a high level as you guys do um sometimes those are empowering thoughts on the loop but often those the thoughts that are really on a loop are these kind of critical ideas about ourselves or these fears right these worries um these existential thoughts and and for me meditation kind of just is a little reset in the day to just break that cycle and kind of start fresh people sometimes want to sell uh other folks on this stuff and they say like uh it's a it's a 100 percent. you know you'll be all better you'll never have no that's all bullshit but for me if it makes it like 80 85 percent better that's just such a giant win <laughs> um and uh and if it if you can string some wins together suddenly you're really going and so for, for me like meditation journaling making sure even like i'm i'm injured now I can't play. I haven't been able to play for a few weeks. It's driving me crazy, but I go get cardio every single day. I do weights four days. Like I just, I find a way because I've decided that for me, I'm going to say I've had a good day. Um, because we all don't, if you don't define things, maybe it's harder to quantify. So for me, if I've spent time with the people I love, I've journaled, meditated and exercised during a day, I've had a good day. And um, I so I just try to kind of put that stuff in, and it's like you know, family, loved ones, exercise, meditation, journaling. Okay, that's I've won. And then if I can eat well on top of it, you know what I mean? Eat right. <laughs> yeah, that's then, a cherry
0: on top. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: That's a that's winning a five setter. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> perfect.
0: No, it's it's funny. I mean, I've as you go through a career from juniors to pros and I'm actually getting back on tour myself right now. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. So it's been, you know, getting back to the foundation and making sure that, yeah, I'm not playing at the moment necessarily in these tournaments, but how do I build that foundation and get that routine going is so, so crucial for me getting back on tour.
1: So like, you know, like, um, that thing of rebuilding, you know, we've all had these moments. Anyone who's tried to chase a, a career that's got the kind of funnel that the one you're trying to have and have had, and the one I've been lucky enough to have, you know, it's there are real setbacks. There are real moments when it seems like you're not going to get to that place. And the hardest thing I think is when you retrench, when you have to say, "Okay, this is where I am right now." So, ha- and and now I have to. I know what this is gonna cost me. It's gonna cost me so much. Hmm. I'm not just talking about it. I know it costs a yeah. lot financially, but I'm talking Pro, about yes, other yes, cost, yeah, right? yeah, emotionally. A lot of a big cost emotionally to go, okay. Um I can what is that what is that process like for you right now? So are you gonna go play channel? Like, what are you gonna go
0: Yeah. to go play? I mean, initially the process starts with do I want this? You know, you could say yes. you you could say you want it and you can think about it, and you you know it's easy when you watch the US Open, you're like, Yeah, I would like to be there. Well. Yeah, obviously, you would like to be there, you know, like, that's the easy part, then it gets down to, okay, it's been a long day. Do I go do the three other things that I have to do for my body? Do I? Okay, now I'm there. Okay, in my maturity stage that I'm in now after playing for, you know, let's say six years on tour, tennis has the most variables out of any other sport in the world, nearly out of the top sports in the world. So it's incredibly unstable. So how do you create stability? How do you create routine, when everything else has gone to shit, for lack of a better term, you know, when you're traveling for 24 hours, when you're on the road, your body feels awful, you're dehydrated, you don't have anything. Okay, like you said, you make sure to get meditation. in. that's just how you kind of recenter yourself. Okay, I meditate, I make sure I get my yoga in, I do my workout. And okay, I feel that sense of home again. So for me, probably three years ago, even when I was around 100 in the world, was I doing that every day? probably not. Was I doing that every other day? Hopefully. Because you know
1: what part of it is though? Also, it's like, I think I've found this, that it's very scary to go all in fully Hmm. actually because then the fear is what if I do all that and I'm not enough, Hmm. but you have to find a way to go all in fully, even especially then because you'll know something about yourself. And in fact, you will be enough, whether you become top, 20 or not, you will have learned a great valuable thing about how resilient you are and how much you're willing to put on the line. But it's really hard. It's like the salesperson who before the biggest um, uh, opportunity, they don't want to prep because the fear, they don't know this, but the fear is if I fucking don't prep and I don't get it, okay, I'm an asshole. But if I prep, and I don't get it, I'm a failure. And that failure thing is really scary. Such but it's an not.
0: ego hit. It's funny, I've been working with juniors now, and the word that we use in the tennis world really is depressurization. What can I put out there into the universe so people know I'm not 100%? You know, I'm not but ready. You got up, but you the have truth is, to. And then I you'll never get you, to that potential. Did,
1: did seeing you, man? did seeing all those guys? do well, light a fire for you, who are your peers. Friends, oh, it's funny. And- We've
0: we brought this up before. The co host is my cation. And we talked about this and people have come up to me because I'm friends with Chris and, Of course you are. No, and no and, you must, and the, of no, no but they're like, oh, well Chris did it, can't you? And I'm like, well He's six foot nine. <laughs> I'm five, nine. So it's funny when they just kind of relate that. But of course, I mean, seeing people but no, I've the grown idea, up but, with, yes, a hundred percent. But it is, there is something yes. about
1: seeing your peers because you've definitely beaten Chris in your life, right? hundred
0: percent. Yes.
1: You've taken sets from him. You guys, yes, whatever. You know, yes. his, like, like, yes, he might be at this moment, um, playing better than you. And yes, he might have certain tools. Um, that are very you know he like there aren't that many people who have that <laughs> physical sm- thing and are also as smart as he is like right right the, he's 100%. got the whole package in a lot of ways right So, so but i imagine so like i remember the scripts i read where I, from where i was like oh you know what maybe i can i, I i'm not saying i'm that girl but i think i maybe i can do this like because that's a human i suddenly realized it's not magical people they're human beings who have maybe um honed a special part of themselves like
0: I think For me, it was always an an overthinking was like, oh, I have to do something miraculous where luckily I have some skill that are, that's very unique. And and then it's just about just keep doing it. Just put it out there each and every day, which I think I got complacent at a certain time. And that's what I needed the break and coming back to it. But it's realizing I'm sure
1: that being top (laughs) 100 felt to you at the time, like, like, oh, fuck, I'm stalled.
0: Then now you're probably like, you know, top 100 is kind of amazing. It was more than, yeah, I was, I was going for a different goal at the time. You know, I think it was different goals and, and, and things get blurry. I'm sure you have it in your own profession where, you know, the goals are not the goals you once had and you're kind of doing it for the wrong reasons everybody has in their own profession. And then it was like taking a step back. Oh, do I even enjoy this? What am I getting out of this? You know, and then once I did that, I was like, no, that's on that tennis court is where I'm hundred percent myself. You know, that's where I find myself. You feel like you're working
1: from the place where you're most alive. See, if you can do thing. you feel like you're working from the most alive part of yourself in your work. You know, there obviously is a part of yourself with those you love, but I'm saying the most alive part of yourself that can exert itself in a professional context and you can do a thing and be one of the best in the world at it. uh, It's like that calling and you're still young enough. How old are you? Twenty seven. Right, you are in the. You're still in the way tennis works now. The prime, you know, not in my Matt Johnny Mac obviously retires <laughs> then, but but the way it is now, you have ten years where you could get to that A plus level of tennis. Right, that's super exciting. And um, you have.
0: I'm sorry, you have to commentate. You have to commentate. You know that, right? Like this is I,
1: I the mean, way you know, the I, way you speak so,
0: about tennis is is probably one of the best like non professional guests that we've had. The passion right. you have for and the way you see it is so unique as well.
1: Thanks. Um. Well, you know, when you're a writer and you study this stuff and and yeah. Um. I love tennis, right? I've made stuff about it. I've I've thought about. It. I've spent hours thinking about it. Also, you know, I've gotten like last year. I've spent a lot of time with Mark Lucero and mm. and hit with Mark a bunch. And so you talk to guys like Mark and BG and, uh, Mark did a really scary thing for me. How's this? Especially <laughs> you recognize that you're my age. So I'm shooting, I'm shooting it. You'll like this No, I'm yeah, shooting yeah. in LA, outside of LA. I'm shooting like an hour and a half outside of LA. And, you know, Mark has a wonderful podcast that he did for a while. And he listened a lot to mine and we would talk online over the years. We And then when I was, I was in LA for six months. So we hung out a bunch and played a bunch. Uh, and he was, it was great getting to to hit with him and talk about tennis and i was shooting somewhere kind of near where his place was and he's like oh a friend of mine has a court near where you're shooting if you want to come play i'm i'm hitting with somebody and then if you want to come play so i'm like yes so i'll bring my stuff we're shooting at this um at this kind of location i have to stay at for a couple of days a, 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 a hotel kind of place and um so i have my stuff and I, I i go over and as we're walking to the court mark's like oh hey i'm I'm glad you're here that we're gonna hit just so you know um tracy austin i think might stop by to watch you hit <laughs> and i was like oh that's funny dude yeah, Hilarious. yeah good one. And he goes yeah. um no and then you know five minutes later we're hitting and, and tracy walks up comes walking out to, to watch us hit and um It was so intense for me because we're the same. I mean, I was right there at the open when she won, when she was 16. And
0: now your grip is tightening up on the forehand. But it was
1: awesome too, because this is the great thing about tennis people, anyone who's like so great at it, you know, I walk off the court and I, Mark had, I like he fed me the ball in the right spots. I hit the ball. (laughs) I hit my, hit. I was cracking the forehand as well as I can crack it. But it was great because I walked off the court and Tracy was just like, Oh, it was really fun. You know, you can play. That's great. I was like, thanks. She goes, I mean, do you want, do you want me to tell you anything I noticed? I was like, that's all I want in the world. (laughs) And she just broke down. She was like, come here. And she stood me a certain way and talked to me about the way I was rotating into the ball. And it was incredible. It was such a gift that she gave me. And like, of course that she watched with the eye that she has hmm. um, and couldn't help, right? Everyone says she, still to this day, nobody hits the ball in, um, I'm sure spot. you probably had the chance to hit with her in your
0: life. Like- Actually haven't, but yeah, sort of amazing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's sweet. They all say that she hits the ball in the most center spot of the, rac- part of the racket every single time. Um, Johnny Mac, people say that about too, but Tracy, they really say like, She never, ever met, I guess she just never, ever misses, you know, Yeah, yeah. but it was incredible. And that's part of it is I get to talk, like part of the luck of my life in this is I get to learn from experts and all these things. And if it's something I love, like tennis, any chance I get to talk to like, you know, Patrick will say, I never take advantage, but Patrick will be like, come hit for an hour. And, you know. You spend five minutes with Patrick, and he's going to tell you three things that honestly will just completely change the way that you hit the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're at my level, like at your level, it's different, right? The refinements are so. But sure. at my level, at my level, if someone says like if Patrick goes, listen, you just basically not when you're trying to take it on the rise or come in, but if you could just think about basically if you can, you always want to hit the ball at the same height. Just and it's not the kind of thing amateur like amateur don't think about. about about. No. And he's like, "Look, here's the thing about your footwork: get in position so that where you're hitting the ball is basically in your favorite spot every time. And you're not going to get that every time, but if you're thinking of, and it's like, ah, of course. Or like Brad, (laughs) or like Brad will say, "All right, when you run around your forehand, I've noticed that sometimes you run around your forehand. You run around your backhand to hit your forehand, and you like that inside-out shot, and that's great." But if you're going to do that against the guy of your level or a little better and you don't try to hit that forehand super hard to like take super control, you're just, he goes, I know why you don't, you're not, you run around it and you think it's great. Like you want to get in a rally. And he's like, no, when you run around that, that's your opportunity. You're going to do it. You got to commit to fucking hitting the ball because otherwise a decent player is going to just put the ball down the line. Now you're running right, you're after done. it and he's going to put yeah, the next yeah. ball away. But it's things like and if you just get those little spots from (laughs) from really smart people about the game, noticing your game. Like if I didn't take advantage of learning and remembering and clocking it, I would be wasting this amazing opportunity that um, I have to get better and to access these incredible minds, you know, um, and this experience that people like Mark and Brad and Tracy have, you know. No,
0: it's amazing. I don't want to take too much more of your time. I have just a couple quick questions. Go ahead, do your thing. We're talking tennis, man. No, it's amazing. I love that. This is totally separate. I want to bring it back to kind of the film industry a little bit. Yeah, great. Um, Yeah, there's always been kind of a divide between TV, movies, and where has your love kind of, and obviously now we're in this like really TV-centric era of just putting out stuff, but where has your love kind of shifted throughout that? Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, funny because i think the first movies that i really watched and cared about were like with my dad and they were on Mm. tv Mm. right my my dad would show me um i mean you grew up on long island so did i and and i you know my my dad and uh saturday afternoon you know we would uh the mets would suck or whatever the yankees (laughs) at various times and you know we would just turn on um he would put on some old westerns and that's probably in like the godfather you know gangster films Mm -hmm. but but i I will say, yeah, I grew up memorizing movies for sure. But I read a lot. Like I was a big reader. So it was like reading and and books and movies and music. I mean, all those things were like one thing to me, and i it wasn't really about the format so much. I would say movies were at a certain point, I studied them, not like an academic. I studied them <laughs> as an enthusiast, right? And then, of course, you, have an academics understand as you really study it and you're like, maybe I want to do this different, but, but then dialogue on television, there have always been shows that were incredible, like NYPD blue or Aaron Sorkin shows or, you know, um, David Kelly shows. So I always would like have something in that area that was, you know, great. Um, but m- most of my career was spent in the movies, Dave and I, that's what we mostly did. Um, with a couple of detours toward TV until this opportunity, the world kind of changed. You could tell these novelistic stories on TV. And there was like an opening to tell the kinds of stories we would tell in a film uh, on TV and to be able to tell it in longer form. And so you have to jump at that opportunity. And it's been awesome getting to make television this way. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll make movies also. Like we love doing both things and certain stories present in certain ways and you get drawn to them um that's i would say about all this stuff you and it applies in antennas too like you need your intellect to kind of um process and understand a bunch of stuff about it but then when you're executing all of it you don't really want your intellect involved at all and Mm -hmm. so even in making even in like when i'm writing i'm yeah of course i've synthesized and processed a bunch of information but like when i'm doing the thing or even when Dave and I are figuring out what is this a movie or that is not really an intellectual exercise. That's like, what does this feel like? What does this want to be? What, how is it kind of naturally evolving, um, evolving? And that's kind of like more how that stuff goes. So I don't really, I don't really separate it out. It's not like, um, you know, Craig Shapiro deciding that there's only tennis and no pickleball, <laughs> which I agree. I agree with Craig, by the way, there is no pickleball. If I had one, yeah, if I have a logo, if you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure when I'm 70, but I just can't do it yet. Do you play? You must. You, always so, know you guys play. so
0: during this break, I actually played like quote unquote professionally for a little bit of time. It recreationally it's so much fun because my my home friends that don't play tennis won't get in the court with me because they're like, Oh, you're too good. I'm like, well, Yeah, but we they can can't make get it on work. the court with you at
1: Pickle either, obviously. But it's a,
0: obviously I'm playing I'm still playing at 20%, but it's yeah, still, but- you know, at least a for whatever. It's that scare factor. It's not in pickleball where in tennis, they won't. I mean, it's been years. I've known these kids since I was, you know, two years old and still they've gone on the court twice with me, you know, cause it's that. Why?
1: Wait, are they, they not
0: f- tennis players at all? Or are they? No, they're not. not. I mean, they picked it up because of me and just oh, like they right. supported me. And then, but for them, it's like, you're going to blow me off the court. I hear this all the time. I'm like, I'm not getting on the court. Well, but to also it misunderstands the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, I
1: think, but so none of, they're not even like four, cause anyway, even a four Oh, no, no, on, no, no. These are
0: these are beginners beginners, but they just never really evolved and now they're playing a little bit more but pickleball has overtaken because it's that scare factor that's not in pickle it's in tennis, where if you get through it, and you get like what we talked about in the beginning of this that that first hit when you make that first connection well on a tennis court. It's a drug. I mean that there's really not that feeling in pickleball, which was a big reason that I didn't so, like because it.
1: Because in ping pong, there is. Like in ping pong, you do have those moments. You so, do. I, it's it's the material of the wiffle ball with but, the. You know what racket. I mean? In ping pong, like in yes. ping pong, if you st- you know, in ping pong, you can actually
0: like you can connect have and these feel moments where the you feel like off. you've it, done it. Pickle's not, not like that. It's, it's dead. Quite this. It's a little deadened. Where yes, there are times where I hit a shot. I'm like okay. Felt okay, but it's not that same like wow. Do you you play padel? I've
1: heard, I've heard padel is the most fun. I haven't played it yet.
0: Pretty amazing. I used to play. We went to the federation. We went over to Barcelona before some of the clay court tournaments, and this was we didn't even really know what it was at the time. And we're playing, and we were playing six hours a day of tennis and fitness after that, and would still play padel. It was, I mean, it's amazing. It's a, it's truly amazing, but that's yeah, my friend's son be, is this
1: incredible yeah. padel. This kid, he's your age, Jordan. Okay. Burrell, you ever come across him? He's a great, he was a squash, like number one squash player. Oh, okay. Yes. He's your age. And now he's a padel fanatic. And in that, and it's amazing. Sammy, my
0: son's played with him and said, it's just the greatest thing. It's the greatest you thing. You have a few squash players that went to pickle, but padel is, that's the one. It won't ever be as accessible as pickle it won't blow up like recreationally. Cause there's a financial interest as well of getting on a court. It's very expensive, but once you're playing it, it's it's something special. It really, it's it's a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> how often are you playing tennis now, Noah, as you're preparing?
0: Uh I'm about probably four days a week getting the body in. Um I mean, within probably a few weeks from now I'll be full time and getting it ready. So the and, body and How long
1: does it take? I just call, I want to ask you okay, yeah, yeah, how yeah. many no
0: please. How long does it take you to to
1: really feel like for you, meaning obviously you're always yeah, yeah. on the level of the, but for you, how long does it take for you to really feel like, okay, I have control of the sword now. Like
0: I really understand. I can do what I want to do. There's two levels. There's the practice and the competition. You know, the practice one you you have, and it's always the worst feeling. So you get there, you're a few weeks in and it, for a second, you almost forget that you're good at tests. And then a few weeks in, you're like, wow, okay, I'm okay. Feels good. And then you hit that mark. You're like, I'm in. Then you play the tournament. And you're like, okay, I'm not in. Okay, I'm not in. And then you understand that the pressure is relying to it. You're not at that level where you are blind, trusting your forehand or your backhand. You know, for me, it's always going to be my backhand. You put a gun to my forehead. I'm making it in the court. The forehand's the one that you know the tightness gets there. Decelerate, acceler- accelerate, over accelerate. But then I'm probably I'm probably about a month and a half of real good work in to be like, okay let's go, let's go compete. So that's was so a place where you're it. like,
1: I want to hit the overhead. Like, come on. I'm right. Re- like I want it. I want At 30, to the back of the
0: court break point. I'm, I'm going for my shot. Yes. Yes. That's about what, a that, month and a half. Yes. That was a great feeling. When, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, let's go. Oh, the first two weeks though, it's so painful. You're like, did I ever play this sport well? And I'm sure everybody's felt it a different, I'm sure you felt it coming back after such a long time. Well, like, when the serve, oh. yeah, when
1: when suddenly you're against, like you could even your serve kind of comes, but the return, like returning in yes. competition, I'm sure for at your level, it, it suddenly must feel like, because in practice, you're, no one's really cracking it like Ben Shelton. And suddenly you got to return Ben's serve. And it must just be like, the fuck do I do with this?
0: <laughs> it is a little what bit. You, you, you turn around you're like, okay, I'm playing Isner right now. He's serving from three treetops away. Okay, let's go. Come on. Oh, I've never <laughs> asked
1: anyone this. So I've never asked anyone this. So they're like, okay, Isner specifically. Like yes. I remember when he won in Cincinnati. I remember when he first won the Cincinnati. I remember all of it. One, two things. One, the first time you face a serve like that mm-hmm. and you know, no one can really describe to you exactly what that's like if you're beforehand. Right. Sure. Is it demoralizing at first? Are you just like, I'm not going to be able to get this back for the whole set or <laughs> are, like, how does it, or are you thinking like, okay, what can I do? Do you enter a state of st- strategy? Right? Like, what do I do right away? Yeah. Does there's, it work?
0: there's a few different ones. So, you know, I've played guys like Eubanks or Apelka in and the juniors and throughout when we play challengers together and that was one level, obviously. So Pelka has been dealing with a lot of injuries, so I didn't get to feel his. But then I started seeing. It was 2018, kind of when I was hitting my peak. There, um, I played Isner, then Nick Kyrgios, and then Isner. So, yeah, I was like back to back played Isner at the French first round, and I remember early on, obviously, you know, you've watched him, but you early on the first one goes, and you laugh, and you're like. Okay.
1: <laughs> you know, you, you, like,
0: you, there's not, yeah. it's just a knee jerk, like, New York reaction. I'm like, yeah, be fucking kidding me. Like, well, you right. know, is this That's real? Hilarious. And then, you know, so luckily, so I played him at French. It was a smaller, smaller stadium. They actually, the newest one that they built all the way in the back probably holds about 2,500. I had a decent amount of room. And then I played him at D, Washington, DC, the ATP there had a lot of room. So after a while, I started understanding that I'm, so my, I'm, um, I'm fast. My skill speed. That, right. that's yeah, that. Yeah. So I actually wasn't. I wasn't guessing on any serves. I was actually reacting. I was so far back that I saw the serve oh, and awesome. would physically run after it, which is not anything that should be taught ever on a return well you're operating a different
1: you're on a different level it doesn't different matter level like so i was yeah. literally
0: i would see the serve and then i would turn like i was a sprinter and run after it this was no reaction this was actually seeing it and
1: because he wouldn't give it away right when it was in the uh, at the height you couldn't really get a perfect toss perfect right toss. the toss is too you can't get anything off the top like at my level obviously even a 5-0 i'm going to get stuff off the toss very often when i'm playing against someone better than me but at that level you can't so when then at 5-9
0: (laughs) when he
1: does when he or riley hit that huge second serve kick yes what the are you just always hitting it above your head on the backhand like above your head
0: i mean everything's always above my head but that's besides the point i mean yeah yeah it's it's really difficult and then it's about changing court position how do i mess with them how do i switch it up every time and i had six or seven set points lost six six and four to him in french
1: that's got my amazing, redemption.
0: Though. Got my redemption in DC, where I had the opportunity. So that was on clay, which, which for a lot of people, they actually wouldn't notice this. It's actually much tougher. The ball bounces even higher well, the on The second clay. The serve the second is worse serve, on clay. Much worse. And his so, second
1: serve is brutal. That he kicks it up above. You know, over. I'm six feet. It would be above. I mean,
0: I, I am I, in the bleachers, in the stands, trying to get this literally laughing. Um, but yeah. So again, I was. 15 20 feet behind the baseline and one of them luckily enough i got an espn top plays i'm literally i am oh, i gotta gosh- find it i'll go yes i'll it. send it to you i literally hit this ball he drop shot and i'm i'm just running i'm just running i am 20 feet behind the baseline darting to this drop shot um happened to break a shoe that match but this is what this is what it was it was just the battle of you know he's he's six eleven, 11 and you're yeah and and that's it. It's just, it was just every shot. I'm up here. I'm 10 feet, 20 feet behind the baseline, but this is tennis. I mean, this is as much as that's obviously an offensive weapon. I would love to have it. You know, the fact that that could be on the same playing field and it's one-on-one and I have a picture of me and him high-fiving at different places and other guys and you banks, you know, putting his hand in front of my face after, you know, I took him out and he, I saved him the match point, but his hand is the size of my face. Like, you know, the fact that this like neutralizes everything, that's my, that's the beauty of tennis. I mean, that's, no, tennis. that's
1: Michael Chang. I mean, that's Michael Chang. That's Harold Solomon. If I can get one closer yes. to your, yes, of course, to, you know, <laughs> you, you actually are like, you know, there's um, a it's lot the of, of it. that stuff, right? Um, 100%. It's let me get one more thing. question before okay. you
0: go totally this is just for me i don't even care for the podcast on a show like billion scripted show like that yeah, how ahead. much is like improvised how much do you let the actors kind of take or is it none at that point? Zero. 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 truly zero like okay. um
1: if an actor wants to talk like we're we give the scripts, we always, I mean, um this they would have the scripts uh, at least a week before shooting each episode, often most of the time, way more than that. So if any of the actors had a question about a line or an idea, happy to truly right. happy to talk about it and make changes. Also, in the morning, every day you go to set the routine, like the tennis routine. Um, the routine is you you go to set and the first thing you, you do each day is a, what's called a blocking rehearsal. You mm-hmm. are, everyone goes to their, where they might be you're with the director and you're kind of walking through where, how the scene is going to be shot. And during that, you're saying the words, the actors are saying the words. Uh, David and I are there, um, um, along with this woman named Beth Schachter, who's our number two on the show. is was amazing. And, and mm-hmm. we're not there. She can do the job for us uh, instead of us, but you're there and you're listening. And so you might notice, oh, there could be a better tag at the end of this scene, or in this moment, we need something funnier. And you could like, um, Dan Soder is a great comedian and he plays Mafia on the show. So once in a while we might say to Dan (laughs) in that early rehearsal, I might say to Dan, or they might, hey dude, when He, if you have something occurs to you to say something funny in that spot, try it here in this rehearsal. Let's see, gotcha. And then, if he does, we'll put that in the script for that day. Like, we'll just go to the script supervisor and, and we'll give her, Hey, add this line in this spot. This is what mm-hmm. this should be. But I mean, even that, maybe four times over the course of seven seasons. And, mm. um, there really isn't, it's not the kind of show because the way David and I write and the rhythm of that is so particular. Um, and the way the jokes work and just the whole thing. So it's tightly, tightly scripted and everybody kind of signs on. For it. But, but I don't want to short drift it. Like that reason we give the actors the scripts early is because if Paul Giamatti calls, he's like, hey, can we talk about this scene? I don't understand X, Y, or Z. He's a really smart guy, smarter than anyone I've ever met. If, if Paul didn't understand it, a line, it's because the line's fucked up. And then it's like, okay, well, let us try something else. We'll try to fix it, make it better. So you're constantly working. We are constantly rewriting ourselves. So we're trying to rewrite ourselves enough up to the point so that nobody feels the need to a change and i think on broad comedies it's different and different yeah, yeah. people work different
0: ways like the Kirby like enthusiasms of the world and stuff like that. that's awesome i'm no yeah, i mean that's it's incredible right. it's, it's not my very skill different set. like yeah, yeah
1: i live in a, my our skill set is something different than that we just know the the we just you know know the thing that that we do and and that's what we do i have, I have one question for you which is yes um tennis goes through these phases mm-hmm. and do you find it interesting that How much people deploy slice shots now when (laughs) for so long it was like, don't slice your backhand ever. But everyone got so acculturated to topspin shots that now it's not just changes of pace. Like people are really trying to drive slices and sometimes off both wings. How do you like?
0: Yeah, it's the evolution of the sport. I mean, you know, watching. It's funny, we're working on a, a docuseries ourselves for Behind the Racket right now. And, and awesome. with the director of Rex Miller did a few Citizen Ash. And like, we watching that and watching Arthur Ash and the speed of that. Like history is going to repeat itself for different reasons, but it keeps coming back to the same point. And this one, the players are getting too athletic and the ball's coming too fast. There's going to be a point and which we're getting very close, if not there already, that it is too fast. And that's what you are seeing. So we're not getting, you know, a lot of players are starting to realize it's like, okay, I'm not going to win or lose this match by how fast I hit this ball. And now it's getting back to, okay, we're slicing. Now you're seeing an Alcaraz coming up to the net more. Now you're seeing drop shot. It's just this rewiring of saying, okay, we're getting back to this point because the balls are just, we're just too quick. You know, I don't want to play right. this way.
1: All right. Last thing I'm leaving. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> where do
0: you, have
1: you I mentioned a 27 year olds take on this, actually, where do you, um, have pete and andre in your top 10 all time
0: you know it's always that do i hate where do you have where do you have, where do you have pete i gotta i know. think i think pete with the technology that we have yes. today is still a top five server of all time um I, it's so tough. I I I would say that if he played on on tour today, yeah, with all um, the tools, with it, all the tools that, that, that he available. has now, oh god, because whatever I say, somebody's gonna hate it. I think he would still be top thirty in the world, though. I think he, I think even with his serve and volley, with how returners have gotten so incredibly, but he was he was gifted. He had he had a view for tennis that people didn't have. Agassi was one that. I think if he monitored his game, I think it has actually more potential now than Pete's game would have. Well, his now. ground
1: strokes, I mean, no, his ground strokes were insane. Because okay, his so you, you did say. So wait, the three guys are not. I'm not going to make you sit to, I, Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Know, yeah. All time. Obviously, I, the three guys, the three guys are the top three all time. There's no yes, question about that. No anymore. question about it. But I
0: have Pete at four. Uh, Pete at, at four.
1: I have Pete at four. If
0: I take it all in, what do you? Yeah, think? I haven't gone through the rankings in a bit. I called him. I would put him. I would put him top ten. I okay. don't have it. I think four is a little high in my book. You know, there's that's guys. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking about this, and there's like players and, and different generations. But would
1: you put Murray? You wouldn't. Put, would you put Murray ahead of Pete?
0: I would. would you, put you take Murray? like mental toughness I would, toughness in, I would to put Murray. I would put Murray ahead of Pete.
1: Wow, that's amazing. I really? know
0: what Murray has done against what we consider the best tennis players of all time to get back-to-back goals, to come through that. I mean, he's underrated. Stan Wawrinka at his peak is underrated. You know, you're talking about... More, and then go back in time, I mean, you have Marat Safin. You have players like that. You're like, I mean, where's... Yeah, I
1: remember all those. But of course. It's, it's
0: so tough. Of course. It's so tricky. I mean, you know, you, I mean, I've mean, i hit with Johnny Mack countless times. Where, Where's Johnny Mack? Where does well, he he's settle? The
1: talented. Well, the thing about Johnny Mack is because that... Johnny Mac's like, just his hands being the best in history still clear best in history it's, a, um, it's,
0: it's unbelievable what he could do with a tennis ball
1: but like so yeah of course if he had all, but also he was such a gifted athlete that he never really had a he practiced but he never sure. had a practice, he just had oh you know, this is play.
0: this is the best he shape played as I, I would say probably five years ago was like the best shape he was ever he was saying if i was in this shape when i was playing i'd play another 10 years he's in the best shape now but the way he sees tennis like i was serving he was on court and he's like what are you doing I'm like, what are you you talking about? Like, you know, I thought those were pretty good. He's like, that one was like two inches off. That was three inches off. Not only does he say that, he then goes and he hits the line three times in a row without even a thought. So it's like, I I could call bullshit on him, but he just proved it to me. So who am I to say that he's doing the wrong thing? Everybody I've spoken to, any pro
1: I've spoken to who's gotten a hit with Johnny Mac in the last like 10 years. says They're just like, you just... Now he's my favorite. So Johnny Mac is my favorite player of all time. Personal favorite. He's my number one favorite tennis (laughs) player. I'm not saying he's the best. I'm not. I know, but he's my personal favorite tennis player of all time. So yeah, everyone just says it's the craziest thing. That's amazing. I got to hit with him. I got to hit with him just once when I was very young, um, because I was at the tennis camp. So okay, last thing. Like I was at tennis camp. I was at tennis camp, um, and it was like this is the thing that would always happen to me. Basically, I was. In the top section, there were like the top fifty—you know, five hundred kids in the camp. So the fifty kids were in the top section. I mm-hmm. was probably the number forty-eight <laughs> out of the fifty. But all the kids in the top section got to just hit with John for ten minutes, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so I got this like little moment, and because I was a wise ass who was going to become what I became, <laughs> I said to John, "I go, hey buddy, you think you could ace me?" And um, the whole—I was fourteen, and the whole camp gathers around. And John's like, yeah, bud, I think I can. And he hit seven, seven serves. I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't to even touch. <laughs> no, I didn't even, the racket never touched the ball. Because the serve, the, spin, the spin, I mean, yeah, he, would just, 100%. he would just completely do ping pong serves to me. I mean, it was like the ball would bounce and just take off in a direction I could never anticipate. That's very funny. Um, all right. No, we got a hit though, dude. I did this. Brian, you let, got a hit. no,
0: I I was bringing it up. You let me know what your schedule is like. Randall's Island, done. Set it up. I'm, I'm good. I mean, that's.
1: That's gonna happen. Like I'm Easy. definitely gonna take you up on it. All right, man. And then, but
0: then I'm also gonna bring Johnny Mac on. You have to say the same thing that you said while you were at camp. You have to. You have Absolutely. To, yeah, hundred percent. I'm not letting you go with that. You have to ask him to ace you again.
1: Oh, that's interesting. If he <laughs> if he served seven at me now, I would get my racket on one.
0: I think so. No,
1: I don't know if I'd get it back. I would get a racket.
0: At seven you don't serves, trust? I would get no, you're you're, you're getting one back for sure. I, I'm putting money in. Yeah, that I mean, direction. he's not—he's not 20 years old anymore. He's serving pretty well, but I'm more that your skill has increased at a level yes, that it needs to be. My it's skill is much different than it was back then. All right, man, Ryan, thank well, you dude. so much for being on. This was amazing. One of my favorite guests. What a so blast! Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Bye. The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoahRubin33 at MikeCtennis and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.